Welcome to 2038. I'm David Wallace-Wells. And I'm Max Reed. In the future, will computers even matter? This is Paul Ford. In the year 2038, computers won't matter anymore because they'll be everywhere. This is because they'll be small and cheap, embedded in everything. And all the little rituals that I do to get through my day are going to be unnecessary, like swiping a MetroCard or buzzing into the office. I might still use a desktop computer to make software, but mostly I'm going to ask my earbuds to play music, and those earbuds might also serve as a wallet. Or maybe I like carrying a wallet, that's fine too. It'll have a little screen in it. My shoes will talk to my earbuds, and the song will speed up if I walk faster. I'll be just a little walking cloud platform with lots of hard drive space all talking to the internet. And since everything is connected, cloud and Internet of Things operating systems will matter as much as desktop and mobile operating systems. Companies like Apple, Microsoft, and Google will still exist, but will need to fight to stay relevant in a world where people just don't need that much more of what those companies sell. Now, again, we're still going to be the same people and have lots of cheap junk, and there'll be Internet everywhere, but we just won't think about it very much. I'm Paul Ford. I'm the CEO of Postlate, a software development company and product studio in New York City. I've been writing about technology forever, and I've been a technologist forever. I'm still a programmer deep in my heart, and I still write code on the weekends because I can't help myself. And I'm Max Reed. I'm David Wallace-Wells. Welcome to 2038, Paul. It's good to be here. I want to get into the future with you guys. You're already in the future. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I have a really basic question to start us off. Sure. How are we going to be charging all of these computers? This is a wonderful question because I think that that actually the the future is battery technology. Like if I was to take my children aside and say something to get into, batteries. (laughs) This is the plastics of 2018. This is why Elon Musk is actually interesting. (laughs) He's got all this like crazy battery charging technology he keeps building uh, when he's not losing his mind on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so I really do think that this is a killer problem. Nobody has solved it. You know, and the, as things get smaller and smaller, it gets more and more ridiculous to have these giant adapters that you have to plug into them. So who knows? Maybe there'll be like a little basket and it'll be like the smart charging basket. Like that's where we're going to end up, right? <laughs> you have your little bat, you come home, you dump all your stuff in the smart charging basket or, you know, nano drones come and plug into your ears for five minutes during the course of the day because you signal to them that batteries were low. But I'm charging basically everything on my body at this point. I mean, you're not going to have much choice, right? Your sweater is going to be smart. Your glasses are going to be smart. Your, you know, your suppository will be needing to talk to your earbuds. And like all that needs juice. So maybe actually, I mean, there might be some biotech thing. Like maybe you'll have a methane farm going, but not by 2038. <laughs> we don't really have ways to mess with the, the flow of our body. But maybe that solves America's obesity problem. That'd be cool. Like if we could figure out a way to make fatties like me into battery sources. And then I could just hook myself up to like a, a server. I could be the future of cloud platforms as a tall, overweight man. This would be amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're already wearing sweaters and sneakers and jeans that are computers, essentially, it's only we're, we're getting closer and closer to actually just putting them under our skin. You see it happening with Apple. They're really into your heartbeat. Like they're super into your heartbeat right now. They want to know how you're, you know, every part of you that throbs, Apple would like a, to pay attention to. But if literally everything about your life down to your heartbeat is being like, sucked up by some corporate entity or government entity. I mean, it does open a huge set of questions about surveillance and what 
what gets watched and how that gets processed, right? I know, but you know, like my wife and I track each other on Google Maps. It's so convenient. I know where she is right now. I can tell you. Hold on. <laughs> oh, no, we actually, she's picking up the kids at the school right this minute. We are a surveillance family. But that's just a little network. What I mean is like now the internet is everywhere, but our devices are kind of passports into it. So we can kind of elect to be participating in the surveillance state that is the internet. Sure. But if this internet is everywhere and literally wired into you, there's no there's no opting in, there's no opting out. Listen, I got nothing but bad news on this one, right? Like machine lear- learning is getting really smart. We all have faces and kind of those two facts alone are pretty bad. Like there's going to be screens everywhere. They're going to be incredibly cheap. They're going to be connected to the internet and there's going to be live footage of everybody's face. And the minute one system can correlate one face to a token in a database. Uh, it, it, that that face is kind of on record forever. Do you think that there'll be like a sort of hacker culture that tries to escape it in some way? Or do I you mean, think everybody the, will be all in? No, there already is. I mean, people have like hair hairstyles and um, makeup that you can wear that uh, will block automatic face recognition. Like, of course, there will be a culture of this. But your average human is probably fully opted in unless we decide on a regulatory framework or there's some tremendous consensus that emerges or consumer behavior is like, I will only buy things that don't track me everywhere. No, it's going to be total surveillance at all times. Apple has now the the eye shirt and the eye jeans and I wear those and it's obviously gathering data about me. The the sort of optimistic version to me is that it's it's like Apple is now where it's a it's a relatively good company because we're talking about consumer products that are sold for mm-hmm. profit margin. But at some point when you're generating data like that there's obvious ways to package and sell that which is a much scarier business model to me. Oh, I think that's Apple has basically held to an ethos of we're going to give you tools to live your life and we're going to use that information to make new products that serve you better but we aren't going to de facto sell that information and we're not going to create advertising products on 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 top of it google has gone in the totally opposite direction right i have a pixel phone i'm 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 cool with that you know you, you make decisions along these lines but the thing with Apple, the pressure Apple is going to feel is that all operating systems are getting increasingly commoditized, right? Like Android is everywhere. It's basically free. Apple is holding on to this premium experience with really good hardware and with things like the watch that connect to the phone. And so they're going to keep messing with iOS and sort of saying you can only have this experience with our expensive, fancy products. But meanwhile, this whole world is sort of slightly trashier or cheaper or more surveillance focused products is going to be floating out there, right? So can Apple or anyone preserve the operating system as this piece of intellectual property that people will connect to and and buy products in order to gain access to that whole world and that whole ecosystem? But the minute human beings go, it's over because everything's going to be free like i mean or or approaching free but if you imagine a world in which a true like internet of things world like Mm -hmm. am i ignorant to think that all those things basically have to be running the same os no they need to just be on the internet talking to each other now if they all run the same os that might be advantageous if you opt into like one consumer ecosystem you're like i am an apple person i wear apple pants i shave myself with apple razors 
These razors are so good. <laughs> They're really good. No, they last so much longer. A lot of people will use another kind of razor, but I just, there's something about an Apple razor that's so simple. <laughs> um, I've ripped off half of my face in the last two weeks, but it, it's still worth it compared to Android razors, which count every single hair on your face and send it back to Google, which then continually chases you around with shaving cream offers. Right? So, so this is, um, but no, there is already a tremendous number of Internet of Things operating systems that can be embedded into devices of various complexity. All they have to do is speak one or two network protocols, like it could be Bluetooth or as long as they can talk to some server or some router somewhere and get their signal from point A to point B, they can participate in this world. So at some point, the difference between being rich and being poor in 2038 becomes the amount that you're exposing yourself to these other companies, to advertising companies, to data mining and manufacturing companies. I mean, this is the thing. When you're poor, you have fewer options in general. Uh, I've been on different parts of the economic spectrum, right? Yeah. And like, no, I'm remembering when I moved to New York City in 1998. So we're on the other side of this equation. I had very few options as to where I could live. The, I couldn't afford cable. Like I couldn't, the, the major thing that I spent money on was my dial-up internet and my fancy computer because I thought that that world was important for me to have access to. But the vast majority of human beings weren't connected to it, right? So you're always in that zone. And sure, of course, poor people are going to get marketed to more. They're going to get like payday loans, you know, shot into their eyeballs through like hover drones that advertise in front of them. And they're going to be opted into that without a lot of consent. But no, your average upper middle class person is probably, you know, they'll have a, they'll opt into one of the ecosystems and they'll have an experience that's relatively curated for them. They'll get access to media that they think is cool and relevant. What is different than it used to be is like, there's no gold premium Spotify that lets you get access to special things. So that to me would be one place that things could change up. Right now, what you differentiate is the person who doesn't want to pay for, say, Spotify, they accept ads. And then I, I forget that Spotify has ads because I've been paying for it, right? Yeah. So to me, my experience with Spotify is like, great, I have all recorded music whenever I want, that's cool. That's cool. I really like that. I used to go to Tower and spend like all my disposable money. Yeah. I have a weird, I don't know if you guys have this. Like, the, I don't want many things. I was never like someone who likes a lot of stuff. And the things that I used to love are all free now. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, like everything's more expensive at the same time. Like real estate and food and haircuts is more, are more expensive than they used to be. But like all those things that I really cared about, computers are free and disposable. Right. But to talk about the stuff thing for a second, you mentioned earlier, you were talking about Apple and how like they figured out, you know, how to corner this audience with these particular innovations. One of those was like understanding actually how much people wanted to like use their finger to manipulate a screen mm -hmm. of roughly this size. And in a world in which most people's interactions with the internet are going to be conducted through all of these like along all these other vectors and there may not be like a central unit of smartphone like there is also some experience that's lost there right like people True. do love that object and if the internet isn't passing through an object but is actually surrounding us it's a totally different relationship i don't know like maybe people really really like phones because that turns out to be just like the windowing interface in the 70s you know, Xerox Park comes up with this way to access information, and that turned out to be just a very strong metaphor that everyone is like, ah, it's going to end, but it never goes away. We're just now getting to a point where maybe we're not thinking about files and folders because of the things in our pockets, right? So maybe this is like a good 
local maxima and humans are going to use smartphone-like interfaces, but they just get thinner and more flexible or whatever that people want and will pay for over the next 40 years. It's also possible that 10, 15 years from now, it turns out that, nah, they're happy talking to their earbud. And it's cool. It gives them most of what they want. And they still have this little tiny screen in their pocket that's actually like, maybe that powers the earbud or maybe the it's earbud powers. It's just a battery. Powers. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, who knows, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, you'll be a walking cloud platform. But, it, you know, it's interesting when you see, like, sci-fi movies from decades past, they often do present computers as basically, like, um, Siri. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, some voice-activated thing. Like, we seem to have been sort of slow or reluctant as a culture to actually transition from, like, a toggling, typing interface with the Internet to one that's, like, conducted through voice or even, I guess, in some, like, you can imagine, like, just direct microchip implant or whatever. Right, but there's this techno-fantasy that just because something exists, the other technologies are somehow less relevant. Like, we're sitting here that we're, we're all looking at pieces of paper at this table while we're recording. Eight and a half by 11 paper is a really good standard technology and you put high resolution text on it and you can do an enormous amount of stuff. Like it's a, it's currently the best interface for recording a podcast and having notes. <laughs> like, like, for real, like every time I do a lot of podcasts, every time you go to one, it's like it's paper is better. And you, if you pull a screen out, everybody's like, what's going on there? You yeah. know, it's like, don't, it's not necessary that, People will want to throw away old forms and old technologies if they really like them. And what happens is everybody gets really optimistic about the way things are going to go. And then they actually get frustrated with the users. They're like, ah, nobody will wear like a silicon sweater. And it's like, no, they just don't want it. I mean, it sounds like maybe there's a this part of what this future is, is one where there's a set of interfaces or a set of activities and tasks that we do using speech interfaces. Um, and you sort of see this beginning now when I talk to my Alexa, but for a set of very specific tasks, including turning on lights in my house, asking what the weather is, like sort of uh, stuff that doesn't involve going back and editing things. Whereas, you know, uh, conversations maybe, interestingly enough, even as we start talking to computers more, maybe we start to t- type more to our friends. I mean, I certainly prefer to text over we, phone conversations. You find these limits. And what happens is whenever a new technology shows up, everyone's like, it is limitless. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And so what will happen is speech will hit a wall. Hasn't hit it yet. And then we'll be like, well, cool. I got this for my, I do this when I talk to my computer. And I do this when I type. And I like to type to these people. And this person, you know, my kids have a Chromebooks, which is a wonderful thing to give the small children. I have little twins. And, uh, and they get so frustrated and angry. They want iPads so bad. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I'm not spending money on that. You're going to have a shitty computing experience just like I do. <laughs> and 80% of it works well. But then I've watched my daughter have tantrums over how like Google, um, Hangouts work and, and Google Messages work. And it's really actually exciting to see someone have an on-the-floor leg-kicking tantrum about software. Like, just <laughs> it makes like, you feel better about yours. I really yeah. do because I'm just like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, we're all in this together. Um and uh, right, so so that they're going to grow up and they're going to have screens over here and they love to watch TV and they think that computers are good for Netflix. And sometimes they do hangouts and they think video is normal. And then they also read books. And like, I mean, just, you know, it's just very anecdotal, but the they have the full range of analog experiences and the full range of digital experiences. And they don't actually care that much about the difference. We do because we connect it to our youth and how is culture changing and what's happening. Kids don't care. They'll still pass notes in class as long as there's paper, right? Like we're just the same year to year. And then we get this new technology and marketing tells us that it's going to be disruptive, but it won't. It'll just be omnipresent. 
So like one thing that's sort of interesting about this is you're positing a world where the big disruptive companies of which we're kind of, we have this weird ambivalent relationship where we're terrified of them, but also they're omnipresent. We depend <laughs> we, on them for everything. We love them. Yeah. <laughs> some level, they are the terrible parents yeah. that we can't get away from. And like you're, you're proposing essentially that they turn into the GEs and Philipses and kind of boring industrial giants that dominate the, the stock market and, and industry and whatever else. Who are the disruptors? Is, it, is this a disruptable kind of situation? If you do the thought experiment, which I've done recently, how do they die? Like how does Facebook die? If you say that Congress will pass a law, that's one way to, to change things at that scale. Not a lot of signs of that happening, but, you know, life, things change and think these are big monopolies. But how do they really die? I look at Facebook as dying um, because there becomes a tremendous desire with Internet of Things objects to have little hardware connected private networks like you know, everybody's always worried about losing the teens. And I think the way you would truly lose the teens is if they said, I don't want to be online. I want to be peer-to-peer. I have this bracelet and I tap my friend's bracelet and now we're in a network together and we have a little folder and we share all of our stuff together. Why would that be preferable to doing it? Like- because ain't nobody in your business. Nobody's in, you're like Nobody can see. It could all be encrypted. Your mom wouldn't know. You're just, you're just wearing a bracelet and your parents can't get access to it. But when you think about your own teenage years, you were in cars with your friends talking and doing things and living an independent, you had an independent existence from the people who were watching you. And I think that's just a really like a, a native human desire, right? That's the thing. Okay, if you want to opt out of surveillance culture, the three of us together could get Raspberry Pis and create a little virtual network. They're $35 computers and we could plug those into the internet and everything would be encrypted and we could have a little shared file space and it could be podcast pals and we could make a little web browser and I could open up my web browser and only be able to see your pages because we're in podcast pal network. And we could do that today. Like we could go spend four hours and do that with the rest of the day, get it pretty well set up, go home, plug it into your cable modem, open up a port, good to go. There's like 45 steps in there that an average human being doesn't want to deal with. But still, I think there's something really attractive about that. So I think a lot about that. Like if you're telling me what would the future look like? I I do, if we're all little walking clouds and you start to get things that cost a dollar or two that live in your wallet, is it always great for everything you do to be plugged into the public internet in a cloud in a way that can be surveilled by giant companies? Or hacked. Or hacked, right? Like, could you make a little private space for yourself that feels safe and for teens, you're away from your your parents and other people who would watch you. Um, you know, or it could be the opposite, right? Like, so, I, I mean, but it gets back to what you were saying before, which is that like everybody just casually opts into this. So the idea, to me anyway, that there would be a significant number of people who made enough of a conscientious choice to opt out that it would be a, a meaningful second part of the internet culture seems a little far fetched. I mean, well, the key word is casually, right? Like, there are people who are motivated because they want to be they believe in privacy as a fundamental right and they want to preserve it. There are people who are in a militia who are going to want to like have a private network and there's terrorists and there's all (laughs) these people. That's who we think wants privacy. But the real key word that you said was casually. Like people have casually opted into all of this. And if there becomes this other set of consumer benefits that opts them out, They'll probably do it because who? it's fun to stick it to Google. Like, it's fun. Who cares? Who wants to? You know, it's like there'll be a, if there is a moment where it's cool and interesting and really easy to just get out of Instagram but still share your photos with just a few friends, some, a group of people will do it, especially if it becomes more and more onerous to be opted in. Like, your, your data is always getting stolen and... 
there's a lot of drama and your pictures are not private and it kind of sucks and you you're dating that girl now and are you dating that guy and you just kind of don't want to be out there anymore because everybody's like up in your stuff and you're just sort of like you can just just imagine a kind of low-grade millennial up talking about how this is going to go and you can see like yeah I, you know i just do a little server in my in my pocket it's cool and then you're then they're out you keep bringing up i mean we keep talking about the how how hackable this is as a future and i'm sort of wondering i mean do you envision this there being good security at all or is this the thing where like my coffee mug is going to be hacked twice a day and you know it's connected to all this other stuff and all my data is out there constantly i mean we're on year 50 you know <laughs> it's not good <laughs> yeah <laughs> the the ways to get to real security are so incredibly onerous it's hard to imagine that we'll ever really truly lock it down like there's no radical new security model that is poised to show up if only. Right. Um, I mean, everything probably in the future will be encrypted. There'll be It'll be harder to break in in certain ways. But if you find that weak link, you're in. You guys are talking a lot about, I think, like corporate surveillance. But I'm also just interested in like the state part of that. So sure. like if really every movement is tracked by some, you know, or at least is made available to government agencies and, for instance, like as is my heart rate, mm-hmm. um, as is um, how close I got to Max and Paul in like the studio. I'm curious like what that does to say crime, but also like really how it changes the citizen's relationship to the state. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be good, right? Like you think about... <laughs> you seem to be answering the same, the same yeah, answer to every I mean, question. <laughs> I mean, the thing, right? Like, I mean, when they remake this cyber podcast 20 years from now <laughs> yeah they'll be like they were all worried about privacy but we also got the cool consent stuff and i like my sweater and i like i got the 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 robo floby and I'll, i mean like there'll be all these things that that we love that come out of the new thing and people will be like i have a 400 uh gpus in my gut flora and it feels really good because this is better than anything else that could happen and i process over two billion bitcoins a minute and i like they're shit coins because they're being developed in my stomach which is a battery now like i mean you know you're going to eat batteries and and poop cryptocurrency and you'll be like god how could those animals have lived in that board you know what's funny is when i think back and you look at people they weren't actually the horror that i see that i have when i look at history is how bored they must have been cuz they didn't have this constant no stimulus <laughs> yeah constant <laughs> stimulus all the time <laughs> I, this is sort of a, a maybe a different version of the thing we've been talking about, but China is kind of already well down the path of total surveillance. You know, they're rounding up Muslims, they're rounding up yeah. Muslim Uyghurs, and they're putting them in camps. And yeah, I think they arrested someone out of a pop concert. They like right, recognize the face. face right. Right. Yeah. China, yeah. China just favors the state always, right? And the EU favors the individual, and we kind of not to be too cynical about it, but I think we favor the corporation. China's like just flat out. Just like we did with the communism, we're going to do that with the tech, with the technology stuff, and you're going to follow the rules, and we're going to watch you. And there, you know, there's the new thing where like people have to kind of opt into surveillance on their phones. Like they, the cops are coming around and saying you, know, you have to have to install this software. Like it's a very on the street thing, and it's kind of understood as as a good thing for China, and, and understood as you know, this is part of how we have a good civil society. 
Right. And so in some ways, you're suggesting that we in the U.S. become accustomed to the same kind of or we, we, we generate the same kind of belief in like the strong surveillance state as a good thing or as a, as a baseline against which. You yeah, know. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, obviously, we don't ride in the streets, right? The argument made by America right now is that human beings want to engage with brands, right? Like we really do. There is a fundamental, that's like foundational. That's like the next amendment that you have a right to engage with brands. It's not e pluribus unum as much as caveat emptor, right? Like it's just like you need to, you're going to opt in to this world in order to participate full stop. Like that, that's, and we, we kind of go along with it. Yeah. And we don't, we don't riot. We mm -hmm. don't push for legislation and then when we put our platform leaders in front of congress we say things to them like i hope you'll help us draft this legislation mm -hmm. right like we're, we've admitted such total defeat that we're just assuming that the platform leaders will come and tell us and at some insane level they will because they're frustrated with the government not understanding them and they're like i'll tell you what legislation to have and you know that'll be great it'll just be and then then we'll just elect cheryl sandberg to high office and it'll be done we'll finally be done with this and then we can move on to the next phase in our development as a culture So as always, we're going to end this with um, giving our little scores on credibility, likelihood, and anxiety. Um, Max, what did you think? I found this highly credible. It it struck me as uh, a believable read of who people are, of who we are as human beings, as a society, as uh, the sort of things we like out of technology and our relationship to it. What did you think on a credibility level? Yeah, totally. I mean... Um, particulars who knows but big picture yeah i think we will all be like wandering down the street and having ads scream at us um <laughs> every day yeah paul what do you think of the credibility of your own prediction i think i'm fairly credible <laughs> <laughs> um you know there's a i am a commentator but also a practitioner and i'm deep in on this stuff and so i'm pretty immune to getting too excited after 25 years of watching the technology industry like a lot of its marketing but um, clearly we're headed in this direction more and more little things it, it's not like the cpus actually physically can't get too much smaller like there's a lot of things going on that will keep computers from getting in like the size of a grain of rice but um there's just going to be more of everything and global warming so <laughs> it'll be cool like everything will also need to be waterproof yeah. So how likely do we think this is, David? I would say on some level close to inevitable, you know, again, depending on exactly how you define the scope of the prediction. But um, I think like we're already living amidst devices that are transmitting information about us. And it's really hard to imagine a world in which that becomes less true. I mean, for me, I feel like it seems clear that this is likely in China, where it kind of is where they're already halfway down this road. It seems highly likely in the US where there seems to be almost no organized political response yet to the you know, encroachment of surveillance technology and uh, other kinds of sort of the ways technology creeps into our lives. Um, in the EU, I feel like some version of this is almost certainly likely because, uh, you know, for all the reasons that we've talked about, but I do think that seems to be the one geopolitical location that has uh, a willingness and a sort of political power to cut off at least some some bits and pieces of what this prediction is. Um, Paul, how likely do you think your prediction is? 
Well, I want to emphasize, we got it very dystopian in the course of the conversation, <laughs> but human beings tend to have fun too. And, and it might be that, you know, there's a, you can opt into a mesh network in Brooklyn now where you can kind of be on your own internet with other people who've set up their nodes and like, I don't know, people might get innovative and make their own stuff and get, have their own kind of surveillance with their, there's, there's a lot of human creativity and weirdness that we didn't cover because we're currently living in a zone of panic. <laughs> yeah. Which brings me to our final category. <laughs> um, let's talk about how scared we are of this particular prediction. Paul, why don't you go first with this one? I am not too worried about myself because I think my biggest errors in judgment are probably well behind me. I'm just like a <laughs> you know a middle class guy these days, and like I, I'm one of many schlubs. And so like, but I, I worry about my kids, right? Like you make mistakes and you you make errors in judgment, and somebody takes a photo and that's that's out in the world, and you can't ever get away from that. And I don't I don't want that for them. Um, and you probably also don't want a world in which like they've been trained by surveillance to never be in a situation where they're going to take an embarrassing photo. You kind of want them yeah. to occasionally make that kind of mistake without having to be punished for it. That's the thing. If my, you know, my daughter wants to run naked up a hillside, that that shouldn't be that big a deal. Like if she's in college and being silly or makes something that we might call an error of judgment, it shouldn't follow her. So it's tricky. We're going to be in a really, really muddy place in which all the exact same problems that we have get expressed and understood through this these new things and it's going to be partially good and partially bad and it won't be predictions and it won't be retrospects it'll be real life like it is today yeah i'm not all that scared either i mean um i feel like we're already acculturated to so many of these things and i personally am like less invested in the principle of privacy than a lot of other people i feel like um, I mean, I'm like a, you know, a privileged white man who like doesn't have to fear much from the like police power of the state, but I feel like I don't really have all that much to hide. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of people feel very differently about that, but personally, I just, I'm like, uh, people know things about me that that'll be okay for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find myself scared less of, uh, this vision of the future, you know, in a sort of neutral state and more of the particular balances of power that come out of it. And if it's if it's the same political economy that we live in now, where it's mostly the worst version of the state and the worst version of corporations that uh, that you don't know where we're going. It could get a lot worse. Max. <laughs> well, this is so this is yeah, I would say, yes, I'm very terrified, but I'm holding out some kind of messianic hope that there is a vision of the future where we all have these Internet connected devices where our lives are made better and easier by them, because it, it seems very clear to me that there's that's possible and could be true but where you know i'm in control of it in some way or another the ver the vision that i'm most terrified of is less even the one where the state is in is in total control and the one where i'm being advertised at by carl's jr everywhere i go because it knows it's been two months since i had a hamburger because my hamburger wrapper has a little nano chip in it and i can't ever escape the sort of total advertising hellscape that why is that scarier to you than like the living in the social credit system for instance I, I, it's i it's hard for me to say some kind of i mean this we're getting to psychological territory <laughs> I don't have like a rational reason than you are an yeah, anti I think I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I read too much Adbusters as a kid. Maybe <laughs> that must be what it is. I just it's there's something in sort of particularly hellish about the 
like when I look online, when I spend my time online, the it's the advertising that gets to me the most. It's the advertising that makes the experience of the internet the absolute the the worst thing about it in every way. It's the the ways that it makes loading stuff slow and buggy and crappy. It's the ways that it follows me around. It's the ways that it talks to me in this sort of stilted, awful tone. Like I like I, as I said, we're getting into sort of therapy territory. Here, <laughs> so I don't want to I don't want to propose that anybody else has to feel the way I do. There's a thing here that we're we're messing with, right? That's really serious which is that poor people get arrested and they get in the system and that is like their life. That is what happens. And so surveillance is going to make it easier to get poor people in the system. The flip side is you could probably in the future, 10, 15, 20 years in the future, you're going to be able to wear a camera that is filming people at all times. So if if we still are in the sort of racist hellscape we're in now, every black teen could be wearing a little badge that films every interaction that they have with the cops. And so... It's never purely asymmetric when everything's getting cheaper. Yeah. What made police brutality and the the killing of unarmed civilians intolerable were cell phones. Yeah. Right. And we, we suddenly it wasn't a narrative, it was fact in front of us and we couldn't we couldn't look away. And so there's going to be this is what's this when I say more. Just it's just gonna be more. That's a good line to end on, I think. <laughs> Paul, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Paul Ford for traveling to the future with us. To stay on top of our present tense of politics and business and technology, please visit the new Intelligencer website at nymag.com slash intelligencer. This podcast was produced by Fanny Co. in association with New York Magazine. Our editor is David Haskell. Our editor-in-chief is Adam Moss. I'm David Wallace-Wells. That's Max Reed. See you in the future.